Good job. We finished reading James. James is one of the most straightforward books we have read. He is very adamant that true faith in Jesus will produce good works. This is extremely consistent with a lot of what we have discussed. At the end of 2 Corinthians, we discussed in pretty good detail about how Paul said that the works produced by a person transformed by the gospel would produce overwhelming glory for God. Paul basically told the church at Corinth that the glory of God radiating from Moses' face wouldn't even be detectable when compared to the glory of God radiating from a person who has been transformed by the gospel. James was very practical in his admonitions. It was specifically because of his practicality that verses 5 through 8 in chapter 1 got my attention. I had a difficult time following the line of thought. I am convinced that it is difficult to follow because of the language barrier. The people translating the ancient language into a modern language do a good job. But I'm afraid there are some places where we can completely misunderstand what the scriptures are saying because we do not understand the original language or the context of how specific words were used in the time the letter was written. However, in this case, I think we could study these verses using other places in the Bible to figure out what James was saying. In my translation of the Bible, James 1, 5-8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This passage of scripture is extremely confusing for me because I do not understand on a practical level why someone with doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. There were tons of people who doubted Jesus that he showed extreme mercy to. A famous example is Thomas. In fact, saying he just had doubts is being extremely generous to Thomas. Thomas said he refused to believe Jesus had been raised from the dead unless he could touch the scars on his hands and side. Jesus showed up a few days later and specifically told Thomas to touch his scars. Jesus did tell him that people who believed without getting to touch his scars were blessed, but there is nothing indicating that Thomas was anything less than a true believer. So, what did James mean? First of all, James is talking about asking for wisdom from God. We know, based on Proverbs 1, that biblical wisdom is exercising righteousness, which is treating people the right way, justice, which means not showing partiality and equally applying the laws, and equity, which means distributing resources or whatever else such that everyone will end up at a place of equality. So this should clue us in that James is talking about someone who recognizes that they are not acting or behaving with righteousness, justice, and equity. This understanding of wisdom is confirmed in verse 17 of chapter 3 where James writes, But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Additionally, in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, James discusses in great detail the evils of showing partiality. Another term from verses 5-8 through eight in chapter 1 that we can understand with certainty is this idea of being double-minded. For me, this term is best understood by comparing it to its antonym, 
having a pure heart. We can be confident that this is the proper understanding of this term because in verse 8 of chapter 4, James tells those who are double-minded to purify their heart. What does being pure-hearted mean? It doesn't necessarily mean pure like clean. At least it doesn't just mean being clean for cleanliness sake. It means being completely devoted to one thing, focused, not distracted, truthful, not deceitful, transparent, not doing things under false pretenses. Okay, now let's look at some other places where Jesus said we should ask God for what we needed. Jesus is recorded as talking about this topic in different places like Matthew 7, verse 7, chapter 18, verse 19, chapter 21, verse 22, Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Luke chapter 11, verse 9, John chapter 14, verse 13, chapter 15, verses 7 and 16, chapter 16, verses 23 through 24. Reading through all of these passages provide a lot of context to what we should be asking God to give us. I think the most straightforward verse about this topic is John 15 verse 16 where Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus said in no uncertain terms that he appointed his disciples to bear fruit, with the express purpose of asking the Father for things in His name so that the Father would give us what we ask for. Let's follow this metaphor through. If we are grapes on a vine, how are we going to bear fruit? Well, grapes have seeds. Grapes fall to the ground, die, then their seeds sprout roots and begin growing a plant. This plant grows up and produces what? More grapes! So, us bearing fruit would mean behaving in such a way to produce more people that believe in Jesus like we do and have had their sins forgiven like we have. Based on this, we should be asking God to help people believe in Him, for Him to forgive their sins and meet their needs. We should also be constantly evaluating our own needs and sinfulness. This thoughtful personal reflection will undoubtedly lead to our need for forgiveness. In places like Mark chapter 11 verse 24, and where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13, and Luke chapter 11 verses 2 through 4, Jesus ties our asking for his forgiveness of our sins to our forgiveness of other people. For instance, in Matthew 6 verse 12, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and ask this, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I think this is exactly what James was talking about. We cannot be double-minded on this. We cannot ask God to forgive our sins or the sins of others if we are not willing to also forgive people. That is double-minded. That is holding God to a different standard than we are holding ourselves. This is partiality, the opposite of justice. How can we ask God for wisdom, which the Bible clearly defines as righteousness, justice, and equity while simultaneously advocating for a system of double standards? How can we ask God to give someone food or clothes when we are hoarding all of our money or spending all of our money frivolously on ourselves? This is quite literally praying for God to work against you. In the most simple of terms, you would be asking God to forgive people you don't want to forgive or to help people you don't want to help. But 
All throughout scripture, it is clear that God wants to forgive people. It is literally what he wants to be known for. Jesus also made it clear that he cared deeply about their sicknesses and impoverishment. So, refusing to forgive and be generous is prideful and in direct opposition to the mission of God. This is why James quotes Proverbs 3.34 where it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. With this perspective, you can see, at a minimum, how it is indicative of some type of mental instability to live in this kind of duality, asking for God to do something that we don't want to do ourselves. Honestly, it is completely absurd to think this kind of prayer would even be answered. This is why Jesus and James say to pray in faith, which literally means to pray in full conviction of what you are asking for. They are saying that we should not ask God to forgive someone we are not willing to forgive because in our hearts we are not truly convinced that they are worthy of forgiveness. Or we should not ask God to help someone that we are not willing to help because in our heart we are not truly convinced they are worthy of being helped. How could anyone who feels like someone else is not worthy to be forgiven by God or to be helped by God expect to be forgiven or helped by God? Phrasing it this way completely exposes the pride in the hearts of the double-minded person. To feel this way, you would have to expect God to establish some kind of special arrangement to forgive you or help you while also ignoring others. This is by definition partiality. Paul is clear in Romans 2.11 that God shows no partiality. Plus, James is clear in chapter 2 that partiality is evil and sinful. God, thank you so much for your mercy. Please fill us with your spirit and help us to have a heart of forgiveness and generosity like you. Thank you so much for reading with me. Please come back tomorrow and we will read the book of 1 Peter.